Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 207, Gateway to Partnerships. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. Over the years, the International Space Station has orbited proudly as a beacon of international cooperation. Fifteen partner nations came together to build and operate an orbiting complex that's hosted experiments and astronauts from even more nations. Its cooperative model has proven successful enough to lay the foundation for a new orbiting platform in space called the Gateway. Gateway, though, will find its place in orbit around the moon as part of NASA's Artemis program to help establish a sustained human presence on and around the moon this decade. And we're not going alone. Building off the International Space Station program, we're working with international partners and commercial industry to help achieve this goal. I got a chance to chat with Sean Fuller, International Partner Manager for the Gateway program, about how he's pulling from his decades of experience in the International Space Station program to build this international orbiting platform around the moon. We discuss the background and progress that support Gateway so far. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Sean Fuller, thanks for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Thanks, Gary. It's great to be here. It's been a while since we last saw each other. It has been. I think it's uh, San Francisco or the steps of Kazakhstan, that's, places around the world. <laughs> that's right. Isn't that weird that those are the two last places we can think about it? But it's it's kind of cool. This is our first podcast that we're recording in, back in the studio. Uh, with with the guests, so this is this is pretty special for me. Uh, it's great to have you here. Wanted to talk about gateway partnerships. This is awesome because um, what we're going to be talking about here is a lot of your history in the International Space Station program, how that experience kind of paved the way to what you're doing now. Want to start back here though? Let's start with your International Space Station experience because I think setting that context is going to really help us to tell this story. Tell me about some of your history with NASA. Yeah, well, I was actually very fortunate. I graduated in 96 from Embry-Riddle, and by the time I graduated, I knew where my first job was, and it brought me here to Houston. So I've actually been here at JSC since uh, the summer of 96, so a lot, lot of history in there. But uh, I started out in the space station program as a mission planner before we even launched. So some of the early days of planning for space station, and then quickly got involved in the phase one Mir program that was flying at that time. So mm -hmm. taking some of the lessons learned, I learned about this thing called phase one that was getting us ready for phase two, which was the initial ISS. And so taking those lessons learned out of that phase one and bridging it into ISS. And so really kind of got started very early on in my career here with that in, at the time, MOD, the operations directorate, uh, working in those different areas. And then since then, just uh, really been bridging the technical and, and some of the programmatic pieces uh, with international partners uh, since those days. Yeah. So tell me about that. When your, your time actually um, getting to work with some other countries. Yeah. So when I started, like I said, I started in, in 96 and I heard about this thing called phase one. Mm -hmm. And I got to talking to my boss and said, hey, I, I think we should be learning on this as we get ready for phase two. So we had uh, the Life Sciences Organization. It was doing a lot of the NASA MIR. And so I kind of got involved with that early on there, uh, working with our Russian counterparts. We knew that that was going to be the first parts of ISS. They'd obviously had a long experience in space stations and working with crews. We'd had a, a lot of experience in a shuttle, but this different time frame, right? A couple mm -hmm. weeks worth versus months worth. 
So I got involved with that, and I still remember uh, my first trip to, to Moscow was in the summer of 97. And standing in Red Square, kind of pinching myself, thinking, golly, you know, uh, a year ago, year and a half ago, I was in school and never would have dreamt I'd be here, much less working on the space program, which I'd always wanted to do, and really kind of pulling those two things together. And so that really kind of set me off in it. Uh, you know, I was working, like I said, at that point, helping the, the early planning uh, for space station, mm -hmm. developing uh, those mission plans, but then working with our, our counterparts in Russia and really kind of learning from the two of them to help integrate it into something that, that could uh, be the best for all of us. So, so I kind of got started in that. I guess you could say that got bitten by the bug, if you will, <laughs> with it. And so uh, I, I continued with that. And then as we got into the ISS program, uh, early on and setting up the Houston support group uh, in Moscow and really kind of bringing together our teams as we worked together uh, for their first mission. I was the uh, the lead for Expedition 1 for uh, Shep and Sergey and Yuri All right. uh, early on uh, there with ISS. And so took it from that and then uh, built on those experiences, came back from doing that, that first part and jumped into working with our European and Japanese colleagues as they got ready to fly Columbus and uh, the uh, the gem on ISS. And so started building up those relationships and, and starting to formulate the operations interfaces, how we're gonna work together and really kind of get those from the ground up. So I, I had the, the benefit of starting at the infancy of ISS and kind of seeing that it was well beyond the development phase, which is what I'm in now and learning a lot there, <laughs> but in the early operations phase and building that up into uh, ISS and really kind of branching out uh, from there. So it's been a great experience. You know, I now take a step and look back and say, I, I can see how these dominoes kind of fit together. You know, at the time, you're just having fun and, and really enjoying what you're doing. Now you kind of see how the things fit together and lead to where you're at today. Unbelievable. I mean, starting from the beginning, though, what, what's what's cool about your experience is you're talking about you're talking about the inception of what became one of the most recognizable recognizable international partnerships that we have today. And you've seen that, right? So you said you were there at the beginning and you've seen that progress into something. Tell me about that progression from, from your time of making it all come together from, you said, the operational side of things, all these different countries working together to building something that is a sustainable international partnership. Everybody working together day by day to make international space station operations 20 years continuous. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you look back at that, we, we kind of came and, and each had our, our own individual paths mm. into space. And we're figuring out how to work them together. So if we go back to the early days of ISS, you almost had two parallel pieces. And how do we force those two things together and to work together? We each have our own ideas. And, and as I would tell people, because something is different doesn't make it wrong. And so we got to figure out how to how to get those to work together. Well, over the, the 20 years now of operation on ISS, it, it's kind of like we can complete each other's sentences at this <laughs> point. You know, you, you really learn a lot working from each other and you grow from each other. Each have different experiences uh, that come in. You know, we look at it and, and on ISS, we call it dissimilar redundancy. Hmm. Things that are done on the Russian segment that are different than how they're done on the U.S. segment. But that saved our bacon more than once on each side because there is differences in there. And so I tell you, it's kind of early on, you're, you're figuring out how to take these pieces that are already done and get them to fit and work together. Now, if I fast forward into the gateway world where we're taking that partnership now to the next step, we've learned a lot of things and we could really, as we say, hit the ground running with gateway. We have the established relationship with our partners. We know how to do the interfaces and in our interactions. Whereas in ISS, there's a, a document 
nine volumes, actually, that's the interface uh, between the programs called the SPIP. We needed that because we hadn't worked with each other before. So we'd kind of put down a lot of processes and procedures and how we're going to do things, uh, formulating it and then going executing it. In Gateway, we just did our, our Gateway equivalent to it that's one volume in about 80 pages. Because we've got all this background behind us, and we are one integrated team now around the world. We came as separate teams and, and kind of had to figure out how to make that all work and work it together, and we're very successful at that. Through that progression, the 20 years, starting with the crew and three crew and, and, and through the time when the shuttle was down and, and down to two crew, a lot of different ebbs and flows. Now to the, the six and, and more crew on ISS, we've progressed that partnership, our interactions and working together, uh, how we're complementing each other. You see a lot of it in the research uh, mm -hmm. that, that one does, it benefits the other or joint research really taking that into the gateway, which is even more integrated. We have that, that tremendous foundation from ISS mm -hmm. and we can build upon that. And I think that's really been some of the keys to gateway and it's, it's early successes and the rapid pace because we do have that foundation of background uh, amongst us. I'll tell you, as I look across our partners for gateway, uh, there's a lot of familiar faces from ISS <laughs> that have transitioned now uh, into the gateway work. Well, that's how you started, right? So last time I remember talking to you, this was this is the San Francisco thing. This was when you were still part of the International Space Station program. Gateway was just spinning up. They they were a program. They were getting built from the ground up. But what was nice is exactly the the narrative that you're saying is we have so much information to pull from. We have so many relationships to pull from from International Space Station. You were helping them out from the space station side. So what was that like? on the space station side, starting that up and saying, hey, I can help you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And so interestingly, I would say from, from an international partnership standpoint, the infancy of, of Gateway, and it wasn't Gateway at the time, but the infancy of, of what are we going to do with the partnership? What's our next expansion beyond low Earth orbit and ISS? Really began in about 2014. Hmm. The partnership kind of came together. And, and at that point, we've had six crew assembly complete. Space station's doing great. We're doing a lot of research. We've got the vehicles coming and going. And the partners are now looking, all of us, okay, what's the next step for human exploration beyond ISS? And so we, we kind of started as a partners uh, looking at our national goals of each of us and how do we tie those together uh, to goals into the future. And so we started that early uh, in 2014, 2015 timeframe, kind of starting that formulation of what does that look like? You know, if we look at each different agency, there were goals on the lunar surface. There were goals to go to Mars. There were goals for asteroids. How do we stitch those things together with our capabilities? And so we had something, it had many different names back in the time, Waypoint, Deep Space Gateway, that they kind of said, hey, there, there's probably a good synergy of a, a, a base, if you will, beyond low Earth orbit, get away from, from the gravity of the Earth as a stepping uh, point that can go to the lunar surface if that's what a goal is, or to go to Mars if that's what the goal is. And so we kind of started that in that early formulation. And, and so that's kind of where I came in uh, after I, I was the, the director in Moscow for four years and came back and, mm. and was asked, that, okay, take this partnership and, and let's, let's kind of congeal those ideas, those goals, and step it forward, whereas we had within NASA as well, looking at what's NASA's next steps. Uh, and, and so there were kind of two separate things that had similar goals, and, and where I came in was kind of merging those together, both the NASA one and taking the international partner one. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you one of the things that, that I've learned, and so recently we did the MOUs for Gateway, which are our agreements with the partners, formal agreements between not NASA, a lot of people think it's NASA, and while NASA executes it, it's really the U.S. government 
and the government's uh, with our partners. So it's a commitment of the government. Hmm. But one of the things that, that we learned, and a lot of thanks to our, our, uh, our predecessors in ISS, is when they did those agreements in ISS in the 97 timeframe, they foresaw that there may be an evolution of ISS. And so actually the ISS agreements said, hey, there's a capability of the partners to evolve ISS, to go, to go beyond. We don't know what that is, but to go beyond for this partnership. And so when I came in, it was cool. kind of taking all those pieces together to stitch it into the international partnership that is Gateway today. Very cool. Now let's build off of that. You talked about everybody had this idea, and it was even written into the agreements of early International Space Station that, hey, we can we can take this a step further and continue working together on whatever else is next. Just so happens to be Gateway. So tell me about that. What is the Gateway? What did we come together and say yeah, this that's thing right. is? So, so, so Gateway, that, that's really, uh, like I said, our stepping stone is a location that helps support the aggregation and, and sustainability of going to the lunar surface. Mm. And so if we look back in, in the Apollo era, right, we launched a Saturn V and it was one rocket that carried the three crew out to lunar orbit and then two down to the surface for Apollo 17 was three days. So it's three days on the surface. It's a lot of energy spent to do that and to go out and, and land on the surface, kind of do a, a couple days and then come back home. Gateway, or any outpost, but Gateway gives you a stepping stone so we can bring the crew there, but we also have landers that can go there and stay there. And so now the crew comes into this Gateway that's orbiting around the moon. Uh, they, they come in, they can operate, we can do research in, in a completely different environment on Gateway. But then we put some of the crew into a lander as well to go down to the surface uh, of the moon and uh, in Gateway, in, in the Artemis program, they'll be spending uh, intervals of six days-ish on the surface of the moon, given our orbit. So a lot longer duration there. We don't have to haul everything to the lunar surface and back every time. Hmm. We have a staging point. We can fly logistics up in cargo vehicles that we'll do to Gateway before the crew gets there. And so we can really capitalize on all that, make it, as we call it, sustainable. And so the, the ascent element of a lander uh, can come back and stay at Gateway or stay in a lunar orbit and be reused in the future multiple times. And so that really helps us build a, a much more sustainable uh, lunar exploration enterprise for it. And then as we look ahead, that's a new environment. It's outside of the Van Allen belt, so our radiation environment's different. It can also be a stepping stone to going off to places such as Mars as well. Mm -hmm. An aggregation point that we get out beyond Earth, put the pieces together, give them a test run, and then go out to farther destinations. So we, we talk about it as Gateway, and a lot of folks kind of equate it to if we look at the uh, the U.S. and the Gateway City, St. Louis, and, and it was a stepping point going out to the West. It was the gateway to the West. Well, our Gateway Station is a gateway for that exploration as well. And that's really, it sounds like, Sean, this is the pitch. When you were going to the international partners and you're saying, this is the next step. We all want, like, as di these different nations, our next step is further exploration. This is it. We want you to come with us. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Each one of them want, wants to go beyond, right? We all have our, our ambitious goals. Yeah. But one of the great things about partnerships, too, is, is while you may have the strong desires, you know, like we say, if there's not enough bucks, there's not Buck Rogers. Well, <laughs> and here, well, we can take and pool the resources of everybody, we can all accomplish the goals. Whereas doing it individually may not have the resources to do it. So again, we take the partnership, a lot of strengths. All of us have learned a tremendous amount uh, through ISS and through our ISS experiences. We can expand that now to this new environment. So it is different than low earth orbit, 
uh, it's it's a next step. I wouldn't say it's a giant step up, but it's a next step in that evolution there. Hmm. So we build upon a lot of our experiences, hardware operations and ISS, do those in uh, the lunar orbit and can now expand our capabilities. And again, it, it allows that opportunities for all of us. If I look at the individual partners, you can surmise that perhaps not everyone would have the, the uh, national capabilities, uh, either resources or, or technically, to do those as an individual. So when we work together, it really enables it for all of us, and, and it benefits all of us too. NASA's investment overall is a bit less. It lets us stretch that tax dollar further, mm. just like our other countries can do as well. Very cool. So what does it look like then? If I'm, if I'm going to Gateway, it's an international outpost around the moon. What are all the different components? Yeah, absolutely. It's So Gateway is a little different than ISS. We draw those comparisons a lot. But sure. I would tell you overall, it's about a quarter the size at the end uh, of ISS. Uh, the first couple of elements, we're, we're actually bending metal, as we say now, uh, producing that hardware. Uh, there's a power and propulsion element that provides, just as its name says, uh, power and propulsion uh, for Gateway. Although it has uh, techno technological enhancements there, too, uh, we use a lot of chemical prop on ISS. Uh, to do our translation burns, to, to move the station, or to control its attitude. The PPE for Gateway is going to use an electric thruster, uh, advanced electric propulsion system for Gateway's translation maneuvers. And hmm. so this is a whole new new realm, especially this size. Some smaller satellites you use it on a much smaller scale, but we're scaling it up. Uh, STMD and our colleagues are, are working with uh, with Aerojet and we're sort of developing a larger engine that's going to provide that capability for us. And so we have a new technology in there too. We can infuse this new technology for us. So that kind of builds the, the PPE. And then the next element is called HALO, Habitation and Logistics Outpost. That's mm -hmm. the first habitable volume, if you will, uh, for Gateway. So it's, it's a small volume. Uh, the modules are a bit smaller than they are on ISS. But it gives that initial capability as a, a place for the crew uh, uh, to, to initially come into. And so those two modules, actually, the PP and the HALO, with some enhanced capabilities that we have now in launch vehicles, we're building those and we're going to integrate those on the ground and launch them as we call a co-manifested vehicle. So mm -hmm. one Falcon Heavy launch in uh, November of 2024 will launch those and then they will spend using this ion thruster to spiral out, as we say, to the orbit. So it's going to take about 10 months. They'll launch it into an Earth orbit, but it'll use this uh, electric propulsion and slowly spiral out to get huh. to its orbit around the moon in uh, about 10 months later. And so that kind of creates a, our core piece of it. And I should say, coupled with that, from the very beginning, uh, we have our international partners along the way as well. Uh, within there, the, there's a, a comm system on Halo, a high-rate comm system that'll be used as a relay uh, for items on a lunar surface. Uh, and so that our European colleagues uh, are providing in there. Uh, our Canadian colleagues, they're gonna build an arm. I'll talk about that in a few minutes, but, but arm and arm interface. So a location to put external uh, payloads or uh, utilities on. We're gonna fly that up. And in fact, we're gonna fly it with some payloads, uh, a NASA payload and an ESA sponsored payload on that first vehicle. So we're gonna start some utilization in realms that we haven't seen before hmm. on that very first flight out. And our JAXA colleagues are, are providing the, the energy storage or the battery system uh, within Halo. So we start as a partnership from the very beginning in, in Gateway when we launched the, the first piece of it in November of 24. Now, after that, there's a couple more uh, elements that, that uh, add up to make the assembly complete uh, Gateway, if you will. And so after our initial flight, uh, there's a cadence of about every year after that uh, of additional flights. And so the next one will be what we refer to as the International Habitat or the IHAB. 
Uh, it's a, a European-provided uh, module with a lot of uh, our JAXA colleagues, our Japanese colleagues, with the systems inside of it, thermal control system, a, a life support system. That will really be the hub uh, for life support and for the crew. It's going to let us expand our mission durations, our early flights. Without IHAM, we'll rely on Orion uh, life support system, so it has a, a limited time frame. You can only fit so much in Orion. So the IHAB will have additional life support capabilities that coupled with logistics will really let us expand our time uh, in NRHO, in the orbit around the moon uh, or on the lunar surface. We look at 30, 60 day missions now, given the resupply capabilities and the capabilities in IHAB. Huh. So that's really it. This is, um, it sounds like this is, a, it's an international partnership and a part of, part of the pitch on how everybody contribute is we can expand this. This is part of Artemis as a whole, as a sustainable program. So building it from very sh these short duration missions, now adding this capability to the gateway. Now you can explore for longer. You can explore interesting parts of the moon. It sounds like this is so, gateway is sort of the way to build Artemis um, to be that sustainable program. Absolutely. I kind of call it the, the focal point where you kind of build focal off point. from there. Cool. You, you know, you go off to the, to the lunar surface, you expand from beyond there. But at, at the hub, you have gateway where you can, you can coalesce everything together mm -hmm. to go off and do those additional missions out of there. Cool. So um, when you, you talked about the different ways that international partners are contributing. I wonder, I wonder how you tackled that. Because right when, when the beginning of our talk, we, we talked about how you were starting to build these, these partnerships. I wonder, I wonder what that was like, traveling to the different respective agencies and saying, hey, we want you to contribute. And maybe, I don't know if you said, here's the way you can contribute, or if they came to you with ideas, how'd that all work? Yeah, it was kind of a combination of the two. Okay. And so if we look at each of our partners, you know, you look at, and our Canadian colleagues have a fantastic history of the robotic arm. Yeah. Uh, the first arm on a shuttle, uh, Canada Arm 2 on ISS. And, and so they said, hey, we've got an expertise here. There, there's a, a need for an uh, external robotics on Gateway. And so we'd like to be the, the one that does that. And so that's exactly what they're doing. They have contracts now and, and uh, are working to that. They'll fly the arm uh, with a logistics vehicle in 2026. It's going to let us do things just like we do on ISS today outside uh, of Gateway without the need of a crew to take a spacewalk. A lot of uh, uh, consumables, time used in that. If we can do it from the ground with an arm, which is what we'll do on Gateway, that's great. And so from a Canada standpoint, they kind of came in and say, hey, here's what we want to do. Here, here's how we can fit in it. This is our expertise. We can deliver this. Awesome. From our European colleagues, you know, uh, somewhat of the similar, they're looking to expand beyond the technology in Columbus and, and to really look at a, a module that's more of a, a main core module, if you will, hmm. uh, for, for Gateway and the integration within that too. And so, so they have this, I described the IHAB, but also, and I would say different in uh, evolution, is, is they are integrating our Japanese colleagues' contributions within there. So the life mm -hmm. support system, the thermal yep. control system in, in, in the ISS, NASA is the integrator and Gateway. NASA is the overall integrator, but with IHAB, ESA is the integrator of that module, and so they they saw as an opportunity to stand up uh, and provide that. Now another module that ESA is providing called the uh, the Esprit. It's a refueling module. It provides refueling for the PPE, uh, the xenon propellant as well as the the bipropellant for the chemical uh, thrusters. That actually was one that, that as we were putting together Gateway and looking at the different technical needs in there, there was a gap. 
We needed additional, uh, some additional volume at the time and, and some refueling capability. And so that wasn't one that, that, that a partner uh, came in and said, this is what we want to bring to the table, but it was a need of the partnership. And our European colleagues stood up and said, hey, we've got some, some technologies in there. This is an area that we really want to expand upon. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of take this one and see, see what we can do and run with it. And so it really is kind of a combination of all those that has made this, uh, this possible. Very cool. And that's really what it comes down to. You mentioned this before, Sean, which was, you know, why, why involve the international partners, right? And, but you said it was taking that tax do- taxpayer dollar as, as far as you can and bringing everyone else along for the ride. What are the overall goals, really, of, of na- not only NASA, but what you've heard from working with our European colleagues, our Canadian colleagues, our JAXA colleagues? What have you heard their goals are uh, all that are all coming together. Maybe they're individual goals, and maybe there are shared shared goals across all of us. Yeah, exactly. And it, this really is a conglomeration of all of that. Cool. And so each of them do, do have similar uh, uh, national goals. A lot of them, like we see, there's a lot of interest on lunar surface, lunar surface exploration. Mm. Uh, what does that mean? How can they contribute to it? Uh, our JAXA colleagues. They're working with their industry, uh, looking at rovers. They have a strong desire for pressurized rovers and, and to provide that for lunar surface exploration. Hmm. Well, a Gateway is a method to get there. Uh, similar, our European colleagues are looking at exploration and, and see that next step as a lunar surface. They have a lot of different ideas uh, in terms of what that would be, how they could contribute to it. Of course, if you look at the lunar surface, it, it's not necessarily one uh, small station, if you will. There's a lot of opportunities there. And so I would tell you, I think each one of them is kind of looking in those realms on lunar surface activities. Those activities may be technological advancements for their industry. It may be scientific goals. It's probably a combination of the two. Mm. But it's where they can meet the national goals that they have within this international framework uh, as well. And then I would say each one of them, we also kind of look on the horizon, if you will, and say, this is great. We want to kind of go expand to the to the lunar, uh, cislunar space, to the lunar surface, uh, open up to industries, kind of see that expand there. And then where do we want to go beyond there? Well, that next horizon goal is Mars. And so each of us kind of has our own similar national goals, I think, that, that, that take us out there. But we see how it can fit within the framework. Hmm. Uh, working together, again, each of us can help enable our national goals as well. And so actually early on in the gateway development, uh, we had uh, at a time listed out each of the national goals and kind of drew circles of how they all stitch together <laughs> and how this supports all of it uh, to achieve that. Very cool. All right. So, so you threw out a couple of dates um, uh, or, or earlier in the podcast, and I wanted to, to kind of gauge where we are now and what we have left to do to get to some of those dates. So let's start with where we are now in terms of middle of 2021. Okay. Well, we're, uh, we're, we're making a lot of progress right now. And each one, because it's an assembly sequence, is a little different. So let me talk about some of those. Okay. Uh, the PPE uh, built by Maxar, it's actually a derivative of a satellite bus that they have already. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's changes to support the gateway. Certainly, it's more power, more control uh, than they typically have on a satellite bus. So there's enhancements in there. But it's, it's kind of a well-understood uh, design with these enhancements. And so they kind of have that wrapped up into their overall uh, commercial development. Uh, with the HALO, that, that's a, a pressurized module. Uh, Northrop Grumman's our contractor for it. The primary structure for the HALO, they're using a, an outfit for, in Italy called TASI, Telus Alinea Space Italy. Hmm. 
happens to be also the, the uh, entity that builds the Cygnus pressurized modules for ISS and has a lot of experience of other pressurized modules uh, on ISS. They are building uh, those elements today. Uh, there's several of pressurized sections that have been completed in Turin, Italy. Uh, they'll, they'll get into to molding them together uh, and then shipping them to Northrop Grumman for the, the final outfitting and integrating. So, so in that aspect, that has hardware being built. If I move on to, to the next module, uh, the IHAB, uh, actually last week I was in Europe for the preliminary design review of that module, of the IHAB. And so we were going through the detailed design, uh, the requirements, the flow down, making sure that, that the module, uh, the design of it, the preliminary design was completing the objectives with the right engineering margins on there and completing it within the scope of an integrated gateway. Because it's not its own standalone module, it pulls power, for example, uh, from from the gateway power bus. And so, are we maintaining it within those margins? It's going to be delivered via SLS and Orion, what we call a co-manifested payload. So it'll launch on top of an SLS rocket. Uh, Orion, after they uh, they get into orbit, will uh, turn around and attach to IHAB and then tug it out to gateway to to plug it into gateway, if you will. Hmm. And so, looking at is the mass, the launch mass, how does that compare to the capabilities of the SLS rocket? So going through that design phase of it, they will begin some of the very early manufacturing of IHAB uh, the fall of this year at the same place, actually, in Turin, Italy, huh. with Tazi. So we have some commonality that, as it turns out, has, uh, has been uh, through there with Tazi. Now, some of the later elements, the refueling module, it's in the early requirement phase. And so later this year, we'll have a systems requirement review or an SRR, where we'll take a look at the requirements that will feed into the preliminary design of that module. Make Again, making sure that the flow down of requirements from the gateway level into that module and that implementation uh, is a flow through. So each one of those are kind of at different stages along. We have some that it's hardware uh, being built uh, and soon to be tested. We have software uh, in development and actually being tested, uh, different early levels of that software being tested here at JSC. And so as we take these many pieces to integrate them into the gateway, each one is kind of at different stages, but it's always great when we can look and see the hardware now and you actually physically see it come together. There's a lot of graphics of what it will look like, but now as you see the hardware uh, in Italy uh, and then also uh, at Palo Alto and with Maxar, as they're developing uh, that, some of the early testing of solar rays, very similar to solar rays that we're about to upgrade uh, on ISS. Mm -hmm. And so we, we see that hardware coming together. Yeah. Well, that's, I actually should should mention that we're talking about these international partners to to build this this outpost around the moon. We should mention commercial is a part of it too. And is that how is that a little bit different from how we've done things in the past? Yeah, absolutely. So so we talk about we have uh, different partners and gateway. Yeah. Some are international, some are commercial partners. Right. And so we have the commercial partners, uh, the Maxar and, and, and Northrop Grumman with Halo. What makes it a little different is, is their corporate investment, if you will, in these modules. So they have objectives that, that they want to complete as well hmm. uh, that helps them in their corporate world. I mentioned Maxar and the, the bus. Uh, the PP is built off of their bus. So developments in there, uh, particularly developments in a propulsion area, that has applications later uh, for them in a commercial industry. And so we mm -hmm. talk about partners, it means that it's not always fully NASA money invested in there. They put some skin in the game as well because they get the return that they then use in their commercial industry afterwards. And so that too is it's a little bit different. And so what that means from us in a design 
is there's opportunities for influence and change, if you will, coming from our commercial partners. So we have the NASA requirements that, that really meet uh, the, the international requirements of what does it take to build gateway, because mm -hmm. all of our gateway requirements are agreed by NASA and our partners. You know, this, this isn't a, uh, just a NASA gateway, it really is the international partner gateway. So it's, it's our uh, agreements and requirements across. But then our commercial partners, they have avenues to invest opportunities uh, within there that support their goals that may be outside of Gateway, but it complements it and can help them as well. And so that's really where we see our commercial partnership uh, come in for Gateway. And we'll have some that we've learned on ISS. You know, ISS, our, our cargo resupply on an NASA side, is commercial now. Mm -hmm. We contract commercially for those deliveries. That's exactly the model that we're using for Gateway. Uh, we awarded to SpaceX last year for the first uh, Gateway Logistics resupply contract. Hmm. So we won't own the module, right? We're, we're, we're contracting for the delivery of hardware to Gateway. And so a very similar thing is happening there as we call a commercial partner with SpaceX for that cargo delivery. Yeah, seems to be a pretty common model nowadays. Seems to, to be something that, that really works. Yeah, I th and I think that's where you see the progression of the industry. Yeah. And so there's the demand out there that sparks that. That's why we see the multiple ones on ISS, mm -hmm. more in the future perhaps. We see the commercial market uh, and they can sustain that. And so we can contract for the delivery of the cargo, the design of the module, the, 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 the risk that they take in there, that's kind of on their side. Hmm. So you mentioned the first couple of phases of, of Gateway. It sounds like the, the PPE halo, those first couple of things, Falcon Heavy takes it into lunar orbit. You said then the uh, Orion and the SLS is going to take that IHAB. What, what are the phases here? Is that is that phase one? And, and then is there scalable opportunity, opportunities from there to get to what you were talking about a little bit earlier, those 30-day you know, moon missions? Yeah, so, so we kind of talk about it in terms of initial capability and initial. sustained capability. Got it. So initial capability is that co-manifested vehicle. It's, it's the PP and the halo that gives you that initial waypoint, if you will, that Orion can go to and a lander could go to as well, but it doesn't have the life support systems in there. So they can support the crew. There, there's fans to mix the air, but there's not scrubbing uh, of the air or, or, or the full ECLIS system uh, for the crew there. When we add the IHAB, we add that into it. And so we call the actually the, the overall sustained capability. When you want to have this station, if you will, there, there's key uh, capabilities you want it to have. That life support capability, uh, the arm, the robotic arm externally that can support uh, a crew outside or uh, without a crew to do your external maintenance or your utilization on it. So the, the external arm, uh, the refueling capability, uh, which also adds windows in there. So that's our, our, our viewing port, if you will give us some fantastic views of the moon That'll be cool. uh, from Gateway, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then we'll also add an airlock, uh, so a crew airlock on there uh, to Gateway. And so that really rounds out what we call the sustained capability mm. of Gateway. Okay. And so if we look at that time frame to all those pieces, it's about the 2028 time frame that all of that will be complete. Got it. So what excites you most then coming up? I mean, that's, that's a lot coming up in not too much time. So to, to build, we're talking about a lunar outpost and we're talking about building a sustainable presence for regular moon missions, human presence on the moon. That's what you're helping to do. That's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah, it's pretty wild here. You know, when I think about it and one of the things that, that I like to do and, and I have daughters uh, 16 and 14 years old and 
we like to go out and see space station fly over, right? Yeah. We can look at that and see it in the sky. And and anyone that's 20 or younger now, their entire life, somebody has lived on the space station. You can see it. And so to me, I kind of step back and realize there's going to be a day, maybe we're going to need a telescope, but we'll see the same thing of a human outpost around the moon. And it's not that far off. We're talking about the, the four years from now time frame where we will have that out there and that will show where, where humanity has now gone and we've, we've stretched the envelope to there. Mm-hmm. We've gone there before and come back, kind of a, a little teaser, if you will, to go out and kind of look to, in the frontier and say, hey, we can do this. Now let's come back and do it with the wagons and make it sustainable. That's where we're going. And so I think when you have, we'll have Artemis II, the first time that we have a crew go out uh, around the moon uh, in Orion, but we go out and put the crew going to Gateway, that's really marking a next step in our permanent expansion of that human exploration capability. So I I look at that and sometimes you kind of look back and say, wow, that's really only a handful of years away. That's pretty amazing. And it also scares you. That's only a handful of years away. Let's get to work. <laughs> we got a lot so, to do. Yeah. That is awesome. Uh, Sean, we talked a lot about uh, the, the partnerships to, to build exactly this, this, this outpost in, in lunar orbit and this exciting time that's right at our doorstep. It's, it's coming up real soon. Did I miss anything before I go ahead and let you go? Oh, I just, Gary, I appreciate it. I think, you know, this, this this really has taken us to that that next step. And and we see it. I'm, I'm always enthused. And you see the, the partnership. The other thing that, that impresses me is the world sees us in the exploration. I'm amazed when I travel around the world and go through the airport and see the people wearing T-shirts with the NASA meatball on it. The stores that are selling lunar rovers or, or, or astronauts in suits walking on a lunar surface. So it's really exciting to see that, and it's awesome to be a part of it. We got a great team here and around the agency, really pulling this together, and really around the world that makes it happen. And getting that that recognition and everybody around the world to come together to do it. You know, you really feel like hey, this is something that they were kind of locking arms in and we're going to make this happen and really uh, bring humanity to that next step. And, and it's going to be a great thing. And, you know, doing that, gosh, and then we'll have it as a, a leaping pad to the next thing. <laughs> so a lot of exciting times in front of us. Yeah, we're all standing by very eagerly to see what you and the international community do to, to make this thing a reality. Sean Fuller, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I certainly learned a lot from Sean Fuller today, all about the Gateway. I hope you did too. If you want to learn more, we got a website for you, nasa.gov slash gateway. Uh, We're one of many NASA podcasts across the agency. We're going to be talking about Gateway a lot on this program uh, and Artemis as well. Uh, And a lot of the other podcasts are going to be doing the same thing. So go to nasa.gov slash podcast to check them all out. Uh, You can find us there and follow us. Uh, We're also on social media. We're on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. And just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on June 15th, 2021. 
Thanks to Alex Perriman, Pat Ryan, Norma Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, Rachel Kraft, Isidro Reyna, and Christina Zaid. And of course, thanks to Sean Fuller for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.